you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation 15 and 16. We're covering two chapters today. But chapter 15 is the shortest book, shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, so hopefully we'll make it through. And as we've dived into Revelation on our little map here that will be hung somewhere in the church, we're sitting right in here. This is where the seven bowls are going to be poured upon the earth. So this is chapter 15 and 16 right here as you look at this lovely drawing here. And we've been saying from the beginning of this that the goal, the purpose of Revelation is not just to inform us but to change us. It's basically if all this is true, if everything I'm saying today is true in these two chapters, and trust me, these two chapters are hard chapters, especially chapter 16, because the final judgment is taking place. If these chapters are indeed true, how should that affect how we live, how, how we handle ourselves in our families, with our children, with our grandchildren, or at schools, with our neighborhoods, and the place we do business? And so it's meant to do that because it's pushing one, it's pushing our view of who Jesus Christ is. The picture that we have, I mean, we first started with Jesus with this glowing image in the, in the first chapter, and then it went from Jesus being the Lion of Judah, the King of David, and, the, and the, basically the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Last week we saw Jesus as this one coming on the clouds with a crown and a sickle in his hand. And so we're soon to see Jesus riding in on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood. And so it's going to push our image of who we believe Jesus Christ is. And we keep asking the question, will we be radiant and ready or raptured and removed? Because if you believe you're not going to be here, you're going to have a front row seat in heaven because the church will be raptured out and not experience it, then you're going to prepare differently than if you are going to go through this. Not only will you prepare differently, you'll prepare your children differently and your grandchildren differently of what they will be going through and what tools are needed to actually make it through that time. But we also said no matter what in the world looks like today, or how crazy and chaotic it can be tomorrow, and if it hasn't been crazy and chaotic in the last week, hello, that God still wins. No matter what happens, God still wins. And much is true today, as we've been saying, the day of the Lord is a glorious time, but the most horrifying time in humankind, and we will truly see that today. Now, I don't remember much about my childhood. I mean, I remember good things, BB gun wars and things like that. I do remember, though, sitting outside the principal's office. I do remember sitting in the chair being very uncomfortable because they're not meant to be comfortable. And the secretary to the right looking at me every now and then as I looked at her. And the clock on the wall that ticked very loudly. And I think that's why this day, I hate the sound of a it drives me crazy. And so as I was sitting there wondering what my fate would be, because on the other side of the door was Principal Wozniak, who was arguing the case against my ability to tell the truth, with my mom, who was with her dying breath, arguing that her little boy would never tell a lie, would never take his muddy hands and wipe it on the jacket of David Halverson out on the playground. And she took that story to her grave. She never realized that I was sitting outside 
heart beating out of the chest because I was guilty as they come. Hearing my mom argue for me and for, and that's probably why I remember that story because she told it often how she stood up for her little boy and that's what mommies do, right? But as I sat there knowing I had truly wiped my hands on David Halverson's jacket, which is interesting, years ago we did a skit on that. David Halverson owns a car dealership. We went there and kind of portrayed the thing of just me apologizing to him. And what was funny was in our conversation, because we grew up as kids, he says, you know, Tim, the problem was is that your mom always thought I was the liar. That's true. I never thought of it from that standpoint. I was just hiding the lie, but that's what I made him out to be, to be the liar in the whole conversation. But as I sat there in that chair, guilty as all get out, technically, it's true of all of us. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of something. I mean, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, even my sweet little grandchildren, have, are sinners. All right, They're little sinners. They haven't done big sins yet. But little Alexander, who's all boy, just turned a year, Hazel May's birthday on Wednesday, he found out he could pop balloons. And the minute he found he popped the first one, we all looked thinking what his reaction would be. And it was like, Ah, and then he was on a terror to pop every balloon, which he intended, pop, pop, because that's what little boys do. That's that little nature in it. That's that little sin nature inside of him. Destroy, destroy. It's in all of us. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, Hebrews says we're going to be judged someday. And as much as it's appointed for men to die once, Hebrews 9.27 says, judgment's coming. And so what's true that judgment is coming for all of us, what we've learned through Revelation is that God is a God of love and grace and peace, but he's also a God of righteousness and holiness, and he will bring the wrath and the vengeance. And so there's really this paradox, the divine paradox we call it, John Trotter would love that, divine paradox, that God is busily working to save sinners from his own wrath. That's the paradox. I mean, throughout the book of Revelation, the seven churches are there to bring the good news. The 144,000 witnesses are there to bring the good news. The two witnesses preaching in the cities, streets of Jerusalem, they're to bring the good news. All the Jews and Gentiles who come to Christ during the tribulation bring the good news. Even the last chapter, we found an angel is flying around the world so all can hear and see the glorious gospel, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. God is never giving up throughout this whole book of Revelation to turn those whom he created and whom he loves to not experience the wrath that he has to bring. So there your Bibles, Revelation 15, verse 1 says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Now, it didn't hit me till early this morning. I'm going to Put a pin right there. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I'm going to jump on another horse for a little moment here. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. John is tr truly a prophet here. He's seen prophetic images of the future that is to come. And I know there are some, some sitting here, some watching on TV, who have seen prophets, if you will, proclaim things on YouTube of what is going to happen. 
such as, you know, Trump's going to be reelected and Biden's no way is going to get sworn in and all these wars and rumors of wars and things. And the thing about they, these people who are claiming to be prophets, the thing about a prophet is, guys, you can't be 50% right and be a prophet. I can be 50% right all the time, but that doesn't qualify me as a prophet. A prophet in the Old Testament was 100% right. If you were 98.2% right, you were killed, okay, because you weren't 100% right. You had to be 100% right to be a prophet. And even God himself, which we shared a couple weeks ago, God says, I sent the false prophets to you for a purpose to test you to make sure you wouldn't follow other gods. There are many on the, on the boob tube, on your YouTube channels, who are proclaiming to be prophets. Now, here's the problem. They're speaking for the Lord. I have no doubt about prophets. I have no doubt of people speaking for the Lord. I believe the Lord has spoken to me. Uh, I, so I don't doubt that part. But when you start saying dates and times and then they pass and you still claim you're a prophet, guys, I'm just, I want to challenge you. Filter these things through the scripture of what it says because it's way easy to get what you want and what you think God wants all intertwined together. To be a prophet means you're 100%. Be very careful when someone speaks, this is what the Lord told me, and then begins to say when these things will take place. And most of the time, guys, God shows them to be false. And the thing about some of those prophets on, on the YouTube, they've actually repented and asked for forgiveness some, small some, a few. Most of them are in for a penny, in for a pound. And they ain't going away. But guys, they never will. There's always going to be that. I don't care what issue you're going to come up. There's always going to be someone that the Lord said, put it through the filter of the Bible. What does the Bible say? Can I hold to these things? Test. The, even John says, the guy who wrote Revelation, the first, test the spirits that come your way. Test me. Don't trust everything I say. I, I mean, I want to be a truth bearer, but you put it through the test. Put it through the scriptures. Challenge me if you think I'm off on something. Let's go to the scriptures and use that. But be very careful when you start listening to prophets and their proclamation of things. Okay, let me get back on the other horse again. Okay. I saw heaven, it says... Another great marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. Last. It's just interesting that he, last plagues. That means they're going to last. Because with them, God's wrath is complete. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. And they held harps given them by God. And this is where you get the line, oh, I'm just going to be playing a harp in heaven. How boring is that, just strumming this? Well, one, that's only for those who died for their faith. So if you plan on dying for your faith, you're going to have a harp in heaven, okay? At least for this scene right here. It's not that they play them for eternity, all right? But that, this is what's taking place. The martyrs who made it through, and when I say made it through, they didn't live through. They just held on to their faith through the whole beast, through the whole thing. And here's this sea of crystal, sea of glass, 
but it has fire mixed in it. And all throughout Scripture, guys, Hebrews 27 says, 1027, Hebrews 10, 12, 29, talk about God being a consuming fire. And so this is taking place, and those who are victorious are standing there. They made it through the pressures. They made it through the political pressures of the beast, the economic pressures. Take the marker. You're not going to eat. They made it through the religious pressures. They made it through, and they're there with their harps singing now. A worship experience has happened there in heaven again. Guys, teaching, preaching ain't going to happen in heaven. Worship, going to happen all the time. I have no job when I get to heaven. Jeff secured a job. All right, that's, that's how it's going to be. It's going to be complete worship in heaven. So this is what's taking place. They're singing, and they're singing. It says in verse 3, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, it's interesting. There's a whole comparison in your notes. You can look at comparing the two songs of the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The very first song recorded in Scripture is Moses' song. The very last song in Scripture is the song of the Lamb. And they begin to sing this song that's kind of a blend between the two. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. Just and true are your, are your ways, King of ages. Who will not fear you? And bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And they're singing praises. And guys, here's the thing about singing praises. The more you know about God, the more you understand who God is, the more you're going to praise him. The more you're going to sing about him. The more you're going to enjoy that. That's why one of the last verse in the, the song, Amazing Grace, when we've been there, how long? 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days, which means we still, we still got eternity to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And you, you better start learning to love worship because you're going to be doing a lot of it in heaven, okay? And that's just, just what, what's going to happen. And it says in verse 5, after this, I looked in heaven, and, and there was the temple. That is, the tabernacle of the testimony was open. Now, this is the first time in the New Testament the word tabernacle is used, where this tabernacle is talking about the original tent of meeting that you find that Moses built, that Moses was given directions to build. And that tabernacle, which was different than the temple, Solomon built the temple. This tabernacle traveled wherever Israel went. And the tabernacle truly meant the presence of God was right there. And so that's what it's emphasizing here when it says, man, the presence of God. And out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and were, wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. Here come the plagues now who lives forever and ever, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. And what chapter 16 does now, it really is the first round of an ever-increasing, each bowl that is poured out gets worse and worse the first four bowls are directed at earth itself, the earth, the seas, the water, and the sun. The second two are really at the political nature of the beast. And the seventh one 
ties them all together and wraps it up. So verse 1 says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Now the Greek word for bowl here is not like a cereal bowl that you'd fill cereal with. It'd be like a very shallow saucer. And it was designed that whatever you had in it, you didn't pour it out, you hurled it. So you've got to envision these angels are meant not just to go like this on the earth. They're spreading it out across the whole earth. Instant judgment is taking place. And these bowls of wrath really answer the age-old question of why the wicked seem to go unjust uh, unpunished when the righteous suffer injustice. And I'm sure you may have thought of that. Why, why is this person who's very ungodly, doesn't love God, why does he win the lottery? Why does he get the promotion? Why does he get here? Why does she have the new car and I don't? Or they persecute you and they say all evil against you. Why are they seeming to do okay and I'm not? So these bulls are answering that question. These bulls are saying, guys, here it is. As David, why, why, do the, why do the unrighteous seem to rise above and the righteous get pushed down? Here's the answer. Verse 2 says, the first angel went up and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out of the people who had, had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. These two words, ugly and, and painful they're together, which really means they were festering, painful, incurable. And they only landed on those who worshiped the beast. Those who were believers during this time, nothing happened to them. That's why there's this protection for the saints who are still here. They're not going to experience the full wrath of God. It's going to be around them. They're going to see it happening, but they're protected from it. This is not affecting believers. And these bulls come fast. This is not a, like a stretched out pandemic that's going to last years or anything. This is boom, 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 boom to get to the, the final end. The second bull, the second angel, it says in verse 3, poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like the, that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Now the earth is 70% covered by water. 97% of that is salt water, seawater. So you have 97% of the world. 3% of fresh water is all locked up in the glaciers. Us as mankind, we survive on 1% of the water that's really on the face of the earth. But here, all the water, the salt water first, then the, the fresh water will be, is putrid. It's you know, the blood of a dead man. Unfortunately, I've seen dead person up close that had been sitting next to a heater for a week, uh, and what happens to blood in that whole story. It's coagulated, it smells, it's fest uh, It's a horrible thing to experience, and the smell alone, which will never leave my brain pan. Now, can you imagine the ocean? Everything in my wife loves the ocean. We go to the ocean a lot. And so, it, and there's smells that usually accompany an ocean. I don't catch that usually in the forest. But when you're on the beach and big piles of seaweed that are rotten or fish that or hey, there's a whale washed up. Let's go, go see it. Yeah, but you're going to smell it too. It's a horrible smell. And if you can imagine, that times a billion, 
a smell because everything that God created is now floating in the ocean. I mean, it, it's meant to be this horrible-looking, horrible-feeling experience, and it's worldwide, and it's hitting the economy. You can't fish. You can't take anything. No boats are moving, nothing. Now, remember, the, the second judgment that, that happened, the second trauma, a third of the ocean was affected. Now the whole thing's affected. Verse 4 says, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. The third judgment was a third of the fresh water was affected. Now it's all affected. There is nothing safe to drink at all. And you would think at this, that you read this and you go, oh my gosh, this God, this is so harsh. What? You're the loving God. Couldn't you just snap your fingers and end it? Why, why, why all the bowls? Why all the wrath? And in Revelation, all of a sudden, there's kind of a, a, a pause here because an angel in verse 5 comes and gives a defense for God. Verse 5 says, Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments. You who are, you who are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. The punishment fits the crime. Have you killed all the saints? Well, guess what you're going to be drinking? And all of a sudden, the angel comes to the defense of God's wrath because they shed blood. Now they will drink blood. And it says there in verse 7, And I heard the altar respond. It's not that the altar all of a sudden starts speaking, but if we remember who's under the altar through this, it's the saints who cried out from the very beginning, when, Lord, when are you going to pour out your judgment? When are you, when are you going to give payback for all the horrible things they've done to us? Now. Verse 8 says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these things, but they refused to repent and glorify him. That statement is said three times in this, this chapter alone. They knew it was God, and they cursed at him, and they refused to repent for what they had done. This passage talks about global warming extremes. As the sun's intensity ramps up. Isaiah 30 verse 26 tells us what the ramp up is. The moon will shine like the sun and the sunlight will be seven times brighter. Now those global scientists, are, you know, the whole global warming will say in 2100, you know, the, so much snow will have melted from all the ice caps that it's going to rise the sea level by two feet. It's going to displace 200 million people along the coast. There's a guy named Dr. Henry Morris who wrote a book. It's called The Revelation Record. He's a civil engineer, heads up the civil engineering department of Virginia Tech. And this is what he wrote. He says, the effects on the planet of the sun to become seven times more intense, the ice sheets of Greenland plus the whole continent of Antarctica would melt, which would rise the sea level by 200 feet. 
Guys, Horizon will not be meeting here during that time because uh, we'll be underwater. All right. Understand what, what is taking place here. This is all the poor and the wrath of God. And God is still trying to get them to repent in the midst of this. Again, he's trying to save those that he needs to pour his wrath on the sinfulness of the world. And they refuse. And we got to think about this. Everyone during this time has heard the truth. They've been proclaimed by so many different things. But I'm not going to change. Some of you may know people like that. How many times have you told them the truth? How many times have you told them the gospel? How many times have you shared with them? They just said no. Even on their deathbed. No. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony. And curse the God of heaven because their their pains and their sores, but they still refused to repent of what they had done. Darkness descended. If you read the, the, the plagues that against Egypt, darkness descended on them to the point it was a darkness that could be felt. And they're gnashing their teeth. Have you ever bitten your tongue while you're chewing? And all of a sudden, oh man, every time you bite down, how painful it is. Can you imagine you're gnawing your tongue? And in the process of that window that was like this and like this as the chapters go through is now shut. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They, they came out of the mouths of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. God dries up the Euphrates River in order to allow all the kings to come to Armageddon to, to fight him, just like he dried up the Red Sea, not only for the people to cross over, but for the Egyptian army to cross over because that's his way of saying defeat is coming. God is never the author of evil, but he does allow wicked people to destroy themselves with their evil acts. You give someone long enough to speak, you will soon find out who they are, what they truly believe in. And God says, fine, Keep coming. Some of you parents have done that. You know your kid. You're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to do it. All right. Boom. <laughs> I told you. I mean, we do it all the time. That's what God's doing here. And out of this unholy trinity comes what looks like frogs. And most people don't like frogs. You know, they seem to be pretty harmless. But they're never good in the Bible. All right. They're a plague of frogs against Egypt as well. But these demons that came are there to entice the kings. Come on, let's go fight against God in the valley, what we call Armageddon. And then there's one more break for us. And this is for us. Verse 15. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him 
so that he may go, not go naked and be shamefully exposed. First Thessalonians talks about this. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter. Of, he's coming like a thief. If you knew a thief was coming to your house, you would be what? Ready. And this whole thing, don't go naked. Have your clothes next to it. It's like a soldier. Be prepared for battle at any time. Don't be caught off guard. But most people don't plan for the thief. Because if they did, they'd be ready for him. I'm coming like a thief. Be ready. Be prepared. Be radiant and ready for his return. Again, if we're walking through this, if we're going to have to go through this, or our kids or our grandkids, are we preparing them for what is to take place? And verse 16 says, Then they will gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This is the valley of uh, Megiddo, which is, we've got the, the Mediterranean Ocean, we've got Jerusalem here, it's right there. Over 200 battles have been fought in that area. But now it's really Revelation 19, we'll get deeper into the whole Ar battle of Armageddon. It's not really a battle, it's more of a wipeout. But this valley that all the kings are coming for the sole purpose to fight against God. I mean, just the thought of that, you know, it's not like, yeah, I'm going to take on the bully next door, you know, so-and-so, we're going to head. No, I'm going to go fight God. And that's what they do. That's what the demons entice them to do. And verse 17 is the last part of it, which ties everything together. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice. Does that sound familiar? It's Jesus on the cross saying, Holy Satan, it's finished. It's done. And Greek language has tenses to it, and so this is in a tense that it's a present effect of a past event. That means something that declared in the past has now come about. It's always been talked about. The cataclysmic end of the world was ordained long ago. It's prophesied throughout time and history, and now came the culmination of that event. The last bowl, the last final wrath of God is being poured out onto the world. And the rest of Revelation 16, 17 through 22 is just saying how, guys, you've got to understand, after the battle of Armageddon and everything takes place, the greatest earthquake the world has ever seen takes place. And what John describes, you have to use your imagination. If you don't have imagination, go watch 2012 or something like that where just things are leveled. Because it says in verse 18, Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city, which is the city of Jerusalem, the great city split in three parts. Now, there was an earthquake in Jerusalem before that we talked about. That was a judgment on the city. This is not a judgment on the city. It split in three parts. And in your notes, you can go to Zechariah 14. You have an explanation of all the places where, why it split in three different parts. But this earthquake is so great 
that says God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fury. Verse 20, every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. So you have to picture this. Every island, there's no more islands, they're gone. And every mountain, Mount Diablo, Mount Shasta, whatever you want to name, gone, flattened. That's how severe this earthquake was, to flatten everything. And the reason it's flat, much like Calvary, when he said it was finished, what happened right after that? Earthquake. Temple, you know, the temple was broke. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. And then the entire earth is being re-landscaped. The entire earth is having its really extreme makeover. And it's for the purpose for the eternal kingdom of God. His Jesus, when it talks about his thousand-year reign, when we get that toward the end over here, we'll get that into that too. His thousand-year and millennial reign, the earth is being prepared for that. That's what this earthquake is. Verse 21 ends this way. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds, each fell upon the man, and they cursed God. Here we go again. On account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a hailstorm, all right? I've been in a hailstorm, and I, 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 it's funny because I went, rode my motorcycle to New Mexico on, on a trip, and uh, I had a full faced helmet. But I wasn't wearing it at the time when the hail came, and I just had my skull cap on. And I got pelted with hail. And when I got to Texas with my sister, who I have to remind that she's born in California and not in Texas, but she's got the whole draw and the whole nine yards, I said, man, and hail hurts. And she said, that hurts like hail? That's where that term came from. Man, that hurt like hell. No, it's hurt like hail? Yeah, it hurt like hail. But, and I've been, in, I've been in storms in Denver when I was in school in Colorado. Or softball-sized hail. The heaviest hailstone that's ever been recorded is two pounds. These are 100 pounds. I remember going through the mountains of Denver when I, lived, when I was there for, for seminary. I got my friend's truck that I was borrowing, got caught in a hailstorm. There was no cover, and it dented, dimpled the entire truck. I was throwing sleeping bags and blankets on it. It still pelted it. I mean, everywhere on top was dimpled because of hail. You ain't going to survive a 100 pounds. Some will, because they'll still curse God. And all this is taking place, guys. This is the great paradox again, the divine paradox. God was trying to save those whose wrath was going to be poured upon. But some of them cursed you. And I, I never ex understood of heart you have to be and to have. And I, I want to say, rest assured that those who mistreat the innocent and choose evil over good, they'll always be brought to justice eventually. And escaping the reality of God's judgment is impossible. I escape the judgment of God for my sin because of forgiveness and my judgment's going to be standing before him to give an account with what I did with what he gave me. Not my sin. But someday, his wrath, that he has stored, he's storing it now, will eventually be poured out. But there will come a day in that where a cry from heaven will say, 
said from the very beginning, I said would take place, is complete. Done. My encouragement to you, as I teased said last week, if this is all true, if this is all going to take place tonight, seemingly sooner than later, I know we're one day closer than we were yesterday, what is the level of my concern for those who are lost? When was the last time I actually prayed for someone who doesn't know Jesus? When was the last time I invited them to church or event? Or just out to lunch to see you a little bit around town? Whether it be a family member, whether it be a friend, something you're sitting across from or When was the last time I took that chance? Peter says this, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Which means, guys, if all this is true and you're living your life in such a way that this is true, when things like COVID and lockdowns and sickness and all those, when all those things take place, people are watching how you're reacting to this. And based on how you react to what's going around you, they will look to you and say, why are you acting like nobody else? Why, why is this not bugging you like it seems to be doing to other people? Why? And you can say, guys... One, I've not put my hope on who's, who's flying on Air Force One. I'm not putting my hope in any governor or senator. I'm not putting my hope in any, any job or anything. I'm putting my hope in Jesus Christ who says this. Because that's, there's nothing that we can hope for other than that. And that whatever I am going to go through and have gone God knows exactly what he's doing. He hasn't lost the keys to the loony bin. Even though sometimes it looks like that. He's in control. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what he is doing. Have I placed my hope in him so that others look to me and say, why are you having such hope? by your side? Are you ready for the fight that's coming? Don't be caught off guard. Hebrews 4, 7 says this, and close. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David as he said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden through music, whether it's what you ate, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through something through the word here, don't harden your heart today. Maybe today is the day you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ if you haven't. If you're sitting there at home, 
You tuned in, not knowing what to expect. Maybe God's been knocking on the door of your heart. Today is the day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So I want to pray. I want to pray for us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, and I want to pray for those who may not have yet. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you that you woke us up, got us dressed, got us here, so that means we're not done with it yet. Father, may we be radiant and ready. May we not be caught off guard. share the hope of where we have placed our hope in with those who would ask. That's going to demand a life that doesn't look like everybody else's. Help us to react in a way knowing that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you haven't lost the keys to the kingdom, you win in the end. And Father, for those who don't know you yet, First time they've heard this stuff, something has struck their heart. They believe they've heard the voice of God and they don't want to harden their heart. If that's you, I want you to pray a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that does it, these aren't magical words, it's the sincerity of your heart. So there's going to be a prayer on the screen. I'm going to say all of us together, let's say this together to help those who may be doing this for the first time. God in heaven, you sent your son Jesus to save us from our sins. You are both stern and kind. My sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus Christ died to take away my sin. Today I ask you to forgive my sin and to come into my life. Please begin to direct my life. Write your name, my name in your book of life. Give me the faith I need receive you to my heart this day in Jesus name amen father if anyone prayed that prayer may you fill them with your spirit may they begin to grow in their faith may they get connected with the church if it's this one so we can help them grow that we would all be ready radiant and ready we pray this in Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.